Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head. If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Get adoseofhope.com. Today's guest is Marissa Jones. Marissa is a teacher, community builder, and mindset coach. After leading a successful career as an architect and strategic advisor, leading global multi-million dollar technology projects, she published her memoir, The Lotus Tattoo, One Woman's Grit from Bully to Redemption in 2019, and now focuses on helping women balance mental health challenges with career success. Marissa is also the host of Women CEO in Reflection, a podcast where women business leaders of our world get candid about mental health. Marissa currently lives in Colorado with her two teenage boys and their dogs. Marissa Jones and Robert dig into the challenges that women face when raised with the expectation of go to school, get married, and have kids. She wanted those things, but also wanted more. After writing her memoir, she discovered the power of story and the power she had that could help others who were trapped by their stories. Marissa, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm so excited. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here also. Thanks, Robert. Absolutely. Each week, I just let the get each week, each day, I just let the guests tell us a little bit about their entrepreneurial journey and, and kind of use that as a launching off point. All right. So where do I begin? Um, <laughs> Usually so at the beginning. <laughs> at the beginning. Well, I was born a small young girl in New York. Uh, so, so I was born in New York. Um, and, uh, you know, I grew up with Sicilian immigrant parents and um, they had their own businesses growing up, you know, real estate businesses. And so I started doing a lot of work for them as kids because they didn't speak English. So we worked with accountants and attorneys and, you know, wow. dealing with the city and, and all of that. And we helped you know, run their business. I never thought of it being an entrepreneur until I was older. Right. Um, and, uh, because for them, they, they kind of put me in a box of like, I'm a woman. So I had to get married and get pregnant and have kids. Um, wow. and, and so I didn't really have any aspirations of who to look up to. Right. Um, but, uh, my sister, um, you know, she took like stenography and shorthand and, and I thought it was pretty cool. So I learned that and I got really good at it. Um, so I was aspiring to be a secretary, which was a big deal. Um, and then I realized there was, I had this tech side of me that was really, um, I love technology and I used to like take apart radios and stuff as a kid. And, um, and so after I was like, oh, I could be a secretary, then I realized, oh, my goodness, I could be a programmer. And um, I bought myself a computer in the early 80s um, and I taught myself programming. 
Um, and that led me on my career path of, of um, delivering multi-million dollar global projects uh, over the, the, my 30 year career. Um, and so, um, and it was kind of entrepreneurial, even though I worked for somebody else, you know, being a consultant and a lead architect and a strategic advisor for C-level executives on how to manage their data, you have to be in the entrepreneurial mindset and you have to be a visionary. Um, and I learned to be a visionary in that role. Um, and so, you know, I always had, you know, I either worked for a company or I did independent projects on my own, um, you know, as part of that. Um, but so that was like my, my career. And then uh, something happened in 2019 and I published my memoir and it took me on a completely new journey um, because, you know, uh, growing up in that Sicilian, um, you know, immigrant family, my, my father was also an abusive alcoholic and, um, and that brought on a lot of challenges. Uh, it brought a lot of angst and, um, and hurt and trauma. And, um, I became a bully early on. Uh, I took my anger out on other kids. And then as a, an adult, I took my anger out on other adults. So, um, but also led me on a path of making really bad decisions. So in my teens and twenties, I did a lot of drugs. Um, even, you know, I had this one side, I had this career path that was going great and I was excelling and making a name for myself. I was extremely well known in the industry for, for my specialty. And on the other side, I had this dark side of doing drugs and, and, you know, just depression, suicide, PTSD, like all of that behind the scenes, shame and guilt that I was carrying. Um, and uh, it wasn't until my 40s that I had what I call my mental breakdown. And um, I filed for divorce from my husband. Um, and I went on a self-help journey. And, um, and I started to heal. And I wanted to know what it was like to be happy because I realized I had never really truly been happy in my life. Uh, my whole life was mindset and how to avoid all the chaos that was in my head. That was, that was my whole, my whole life spent was the burdens of the trauma and the anger and the, 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 you know, overanalyzing and the, the negative self-talk and the hatred for myself um, and the hatred for other people um, and just not not really fully enjoying life. Um, and, you know, there was a series of events, but, but, you know, going through that, that kind of downside, what was a really eye opener was I was emotionally detached from my own kids. Like I was a traveling consultant full time when they were young. And then I was going through depression and I started drinking again. And I just, I was not, I was not there for them emotionally. And I knew that it was unhealthy and I knew I wasn't going to survive um, and I had to do something for them. So um, I went, I tried everything. I yoga, hypnotherapy, meditation, everything. And um, I spent years on this journey until I was able to heal. And um, my life is completely different now. I'm a completely different person. Uh, so when I wrote my memoir, it was kind of triggered by my nutritionist. Um, I had gone through, you know, some health issues and I needed to change the way I ate. And my, 
I took all of my Italian Sicilian cooking and all the recipes and I converted them to gluten-free and then to paleo. And, um, and one day in a workshop, she said to me, you have a great story to tell about your food journey. Why don't you talk about it? And so I did. But then when I got home, I was like, I have an even better story. Like I've lived a really colorful life and, uh, and it's time to, to get rid of the shame and talk about it. So I published my memoir. That's how I met Polly, who was, who introduced me to you, Robert. And, um, and uh, I, when I published my memoir, something happened. Um, I started getting this drive to wanting to talk about my story more and talk about it in public and, and see if it resonated with people. Um, but, but, but in, in addition to that, I started having colleagues, male, female colleagues, friends, people that I hadn't heard from since high school, you know, cause I finally got social media that I didn't, I never had, um, just coming out and telling me there's skeletons in their closet and just talking about it. And I thought, wow, this is really powerful. Like these are, these are things that these people grown adults have never talked to anyone about it. Maybe their therapist, maybe their spouse, but, but they, they just kept it in the closet. And I thought this is really powerful what I'm doing. Um, so I thought, well, maybe I can, maybe I can really do something out of this. So I started writing courses and workshops because, you know, being in the IT space, uh, I've, it's all strategy, right? It's, it's strategy on, on how to implement projects, you know, multi-million dollar deals. And I was like, well, how can I do that for myself instead of for someone else? And that's kind of where the entrepreneurship, um, really started focusing on myself instead of making money for someone else. Um, so I started thinking, well, my skills are, I can write workshops, I can come up with plans, I can come up with, you know, strategy and implementation and, and teaching at conference, you know, I would speak at conferences, why don't I just do it for my personal story? And so I developed some courses, I developed some, some talks around mental health, I started partnering, you know, in order to deliver an IT project, you have to partner. You have to partner with vendors. You have to partner with the business, different business departments. You have to get buy-in. You have to get everyone's engagement. And I thought, well, why don't I do that in the mental health space? So I started reaching out to domestic violence uh, centers and mental health advocates and, and trauma specialists. And I just started reaching out to them and saying, what can we do together to help others? And um, the response was just tremendous. Um, and so now I, I do a lot of work with, with nonprofits of domestic violence. I do fundraisers, I do talks. Um, I give my, my coaching program, my online coaching program. I have a self-practice version of it. I give it to free for domestic violence shelters um, and, and organizations so they can, they can offer that to any one of their survivors for free. Um, and, uh, it's just been tremendous. And, um, that's kind of how I wound up <laughs> working for myself. And I just launched my brand new podcast last night called Woo! women CEO and reflection. And I am talking to women business leaders across the globe about mental health and their own mental health and personal growth journeys. And 
I've got 60 women on my calendar, 30 I've interviewed already. The other 30 are still on the calendar. And this is all in my first interview was May 16th. In two months, I've had 60 signups and they just keep coming in every day. And we launched last night. We had an online launch party uh, where some of the guests joined um, and talked about why they wanted to do the podcast. And uh, it's just it's been an incredible journey and I'm loving every minute of it. Uh, so much. That's fantastic. Well, obviously, you, you now understand the power story. Yes, I do. And and the power of sharing your story. And so I I do want to dig into that a little bit just because um so 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 let's talk about how telling your story of your past has allowed you to to reframe it. Right. You mentioned you mentioned that you were you were carrying around all that negative self-talk. You were emotionally absent from your kids' lives and so how has being telling your story and, and reframing it allowed you to make that mindset shift to the positive? So um, I had to really do work on myself and accept responsibility and accountability yeah. for where I was at. I, I realized I had been living my whole life in this victim mindset and it wasn't serving me well because in a victim mindset, every decision you make doesn't support you. And so um, in telling my story, I basically was taking accountability and for who I was and, and where I got to where I was. And, um, and that was huge because, you know, it's easy to blame the abuser. And it's not to say they're not without, you know, punishment or not without fault, right? But it's what you do with it, you know, and how you carry that that's, that's your own responsibility and accountability. So I had to take ownership of my own life and say, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do this, I have to do it myself. No one's going to save me. And you hear that all the time, but what does that really mean? That means speaking out loud, your truth and speaking out loud, your truth of your accountability and, and what you, what, how you have wronged yourself Right. And this is none of this is bad, but how you wronged yourself so you can be aware of how you can better and help yourself. Um, oh, and, so and, powerful. Right. And so when you tell your story, you're owning up to it. And when you every time you tell your story, it's extremely powerful. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of like how AA works. Right. Like if you go to AA and I've never been to a meeting, but if you go to AA, you tell your story. Right. You're owning you're, you're, you're owning your own failures in front of everyone. And what it does is twofold. It helps you take accountability and take the next step forward, but it helps the people in the room who are listening to your story because you're inspiring them to do the same. Well, so here's the, here's the piece of, of owning. And, and actually the second chapter in, in my book, the entrepreneur mindset shift is, is own your shit. And, and <laughs> making responsibility for your life and and in the victim mode right the victim mode it's so easy to blame blame your attacker to blame your father to blame your uncle to blame your parents to blame your neighbor to blame everybody that's that's you know bullied you or bugged you or said you couldn't do it right 
and now we can't take away any of those events. I can't take away the fact that your father was abusive or he assaulted you. And, and I can't take away some of the evil things that have happened to people. But what I can do is reframe the story. And reframing the story is basically saying, this shit happened. Now, I have a choice in how I look at that stuff and how I tell myself, right? And the problem with the victim is that the victim says, oh, woe's me. I'm terrible. But when you own it and you can say, you know what? This terrible thing happened to me, but I'm a conqueror. I'm a victor. And I can use that to empower me to something better. Absolutely. Right? And, that's, and that's not to say that that you don't need therapy. That's not to say that there isn't some work that has to be done to, to, to reframe that story. Right. So I think the challenge is so many people think that that we're trying to tell a lie. Right. We're trying to lie to ourselves about our past. And, and it's the exact opposite. Right. We're trying to free ourselves from our past by accepting it and just saying, you know what? That sucked. Right. What's next? Well, it becomes who you are. And it's interesting. I love that you said reframe the story. And the reason is because when I first wrote my first draft of my memoir, um, I wrote my story and it was from the victim mindset. And then I wrote my story again and it was the second half of the book and it was the new mindset. Oh, and so powerful. Great exactly. job, Marissa. Well, I changed it because my editor was like, now it's confusing. Why am I jumping into a new story? And it, because that's exactly what it, I reframed what happened. And so um, what I've learned now is it is part of who you are. So I did, I did a lot of work to be able to, and I worked with editors, you know, to try to, to get it where it flows, where the good and the bad coexist. And that's what we have a hard time, especially when you've been through any kind of trauma or you have some negative, you know, burdens that you're carrying. We compartmentalize it's bad or it's good. It's bad or it's good. But when you integrate it as who you are, right at your that's your whole self right that's your authentic self the good and the bad and that's the mindset that has to change right like when in order to be successful in order to be find joy in order to be happy right it is who you are there's no excuses right there's no good or bad it just it's who you are it's your makeup and when you have a full awareness of who you are right the good and the bad and you own that right I own if I get triggered by someone. I own if I can, if I allow this person into my life. I own if somebody makes me happy, if I spend more time with them. I own all of that. And so when you look at yourself as, as an entire, you know, I say authentic soul, right? Mm -hmm. That's your mindset. And, and that's how you can move forward um, while you're still carrying it all. But it's a much lighter load because it's more balanced now. Well, it's because you let go of, of, of all the, the darkness and, and evil of it. Right. Right. And I think, I think that's why the reframing is so important. So here's an, another piece. So let's talk about the power of forgiveness as a part of that reframing process, because our culture has taught us, and you mentioned it earlier on when you said that, you know, that doesn't mean that they're not responsible. That doesn't mean that, 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 that they get off the hook. The difference is when you forgive you're cutting those emotional ties to those people that have harmed you and hurt you. And, and, and that's not to say that, I mean, you don't even have to have a conversation with that person. You don't even have to, to, to do something different, but, 
But so how has forgiveness been a part of your journey in, in freeing your heart emotionally? So forgiveness, I used to hear like, oh, you have to forgive people and it makes you feel better, right? And and I used to go, I'm never forgiving. <laughs> like there's no way, right? An eye for an eye, I'm Sicilian. But but I realized I had carried around so much anger from my father that you know there was a time where I didn't talk to him for 18 years. And yet for those 18 years, my mindset was the anger is going to go away the day he dies. But Ooh. what happened was, is during those 18 years, I would be driving in my car and having fights with him and screaming at him when he wasn't even there. Ooh. Right? Like I would have these imaginary fights and I would scream out loud fighting with him because I had so much anger. And so I realized I had to get rid of the anger regardless of, of whether or not he was going to be in my life. I was able to forgive him and by doing, by looking at who he was as an individual separate from who he was as my father and who he was as an individual was a really broken man. And, and he's still a broken man, but I have a relationship with him. Um, you know, and I, I talked to my clients, you can have a healthy relationship with an unhealthy person, but it's Whoa. the expectations and the boundaries that you bring into that. And you have to have forgiveness before you can do that. And so how I found forgiveness was having an open mind to who he was as an individual. I separated the relationship to the, in the, to the person who he was. And I released my expectations of what I needed from him. So what I needed from him was love and validation and for him to be supportive as a father. I knew I was never gonna get that. So I had to work on those things for myself. Once I was able to strengthen that in myself, I was able to find forgiveness to him and create a healthy relationship with him. So I do. It's funny you said that because in my coaching program, I have a whole module that I help people find forgiveness for themselves because you also have to forgive yourself for the process and then and then forgive them. So so many cool things in there. So when I when I describe it, I tell people that, look, the, this resentment that you're holding on to is is like is like a cord around your heart. And and guess who has the guess who has the string, the end of that cord? the person that you're not forgiving. And so I love the example of you fighting with your father in the car, because that's exactly what's happening is, is even though you haven't talked to him in 18 years, he still has a cord and he's pulling your heart all around and, and causing all this chaos. And, and when you forgive, you're simply, you're simply saying, you know what, I'm letting go of the power and influence this person has, and I'm cutting that cord to free my heart. And, and so I love that example. That's such a great example of, and, and so forgiveness is really a you and you deal. It's not about letting your father off the hook. Right. But I love what you shared because really you've recognized that your father was doing the best that he could do with the tools that he had at the time. Right. And, and I know that most people that are victims that are hurt and, and that if you're looking at your hurt, you're, if you're focused on your hurt, it's really hard to see that the person that hurt you was doing the very best with the tools that they had at the time, and and it sounds ridiculous, but it's but if you tr if you True. dig into it, you recognize your dad was broken. He right. he was a broken man, and he was trying to do the best he could as a dad at the time, and and right. and the best he could do was not great, right? It was right. terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible, but 
but to to recognize that the people we we encounter, the people we deal with in life, in in business, in relationships, in marriages, are simply trying to do the very best they can with the tools that they have. Right. And we just have a very poorly equipped group of people. Right. Now, I will say there are exceptions to that. And I'll tell you, um, if you're dealing with a narcissist, whether it's a yes. parent or a spouse, that's different because they're not coming from a place of hurt. They are coming from a place where they just don't have the capacity for empathy or compassion or understanding what they did. And it's not to say that someone like, like my father, right, who was broken, he may not have that either, but it's because he's broken. But someone who's a narcissist, it's very difficult to find forgiveness. And that's okay. You don't have to get to the place of forgiveness, but as long as you release that cord, like you said, you have to find, and, and even if it's just saying, and I've had to cut ties with narcissists and go, they just don't have the capacity to be a decent person. They're just manipulative. They're cruel. They don't have the capacity. I don't have to find forgiveness, but I have to release what they're giving me. And I don't, I no longer have to deal with it. But it definitely choosing, you, you have to choose to protect yourself, right? You have to put those boundaries in place to say, look, you are not healthy for me and I am no longer going to be in a relationship with you because it's all one way and it's all yours. Right. <laughs> and that's not, that's not really a relationship. Um, and, and so absolutely not. If there's a narcissist in your life, I definitely encourage you cut ties and run and get the help you need to not be bringing them back and allowing them to manipulate. And because I, I think that the challenge for, for many is, they they see the potential in the narcissist. They see right. the they see this potential, this idea of good, and and that that person doesn't really exist. Right. And when you <laughs> when you when you leave a narcissist, whether it's a parent or a spouse or something, um, you're grieving. You're grieving the potential. You're grieving what you thought you were you should have had from a parent, or you thought you wanted to have in a future with a spouse, and so. Um, you have to allow yourself to heal from that. And it's really hard um, to let that go, but it takes time. But as long as you have an awareness, and that's a lot of the stuff I teach is as long as you have an awareness of what that is, then you can get to that point of healing and you can get to that point of letting go. And you have to be firm in yourself to not go back. Yeah. The challenge for many is that the narcissist seeks out that codependent that, that, that feeds their that feeds their narcissistic tendencies with the idea that the potential, right? And the codependent is like, oh, if I just if I just help them a little bit, right? If I just right. and really all they're doing is feeding feeding the narcissist and and, and causing more chaos. Um, and so, yeah, get the help you need to get get out and set well, boundaries to protect yourself. Absolutely, <laughs> and that's the codependent is um, that's that's the biggest thing when you've had trauma and you become codependent. Um, that's the hardest thing to break. Right. Mm, absolutely. But if you come up with, and I've come up with a pretty decent way of, of releasing that. And it's about your values, your expectations for people, um, your expectations for yourself and knowing what your triggers are. If you can collectively identify that 
and scrutinize all of it, put it all together. And then when you put it all together, I call that your foundation of strength. When you have that, that's your GPS. Every decision you make, everything you do is based on your values, knowing what your expectations are, modifying your expectations for other people and knowing what your triggers are. When you align yourself to that, right? You can break that codependent habit and you can, you can change the way you live. Oh, that's so powerful. Yeah. So good. So let's, let's dig into boundaries a little bit more. What, what are the values of, of setting boundaries in, in for protecting a relationship or for protecting yourself? So, um, boundaries are hard because sometimes we set boundaries that don't support us. So we mm. have to, we have to create boundaries that are realistic. And again, it goes back to that GPS. When you know what your boundaries are, um, when you know what your values are, you set boundaries based on your values. And when you know what your expectations are of people, you set boundaries based on that. So for instance, I have a client and her relationship with her father is, um, distant. He's not a very good uh, role model. And, um, and so she wanted to learn how to have a healthy relationship. Well, her expectations of him was she want, he want, she wanted to spend time with him. And there were all these things of a father that she wanted from him that she, he could never give her. She changed her expectations, gave those things to herself, right? The love and the caring and, and just knowing that he doesn't have the capacity to show up when he makes plans with her and things like that, right? That's just not who he is, right? But she can still love him. So what she does is she creates boundaries around how she sees him, right? It's on her terms now. She directs when and where she sees them. And she knows when he offers, she has to put up a boundary to say, no, 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 I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna say yes to that, right? And I'm going to create, the situation. So she has more control of it. And she's doing that based on her values because she values the relationship with her father. She values herself. She doesn't want to get hurt. And so she's created a way to create a boundary around that, right? So she can interact with him and have a healthy relationship without getting hurt in the process. And so it's a combination of multiple things and keeping your boundaries is going back to that GPS. You know that if you break that, you're going to get hurt. You're mm -hmm. gonna have different expectations for the other person. And so that's just one example of many where if you don't create boundaries, because her initial boundary was like, I'm just gonna cut him out of my life. And it's like, no, 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 you value him. You, you love him, he's your dad. You don't have to cut him out. Because if she cut him out of his life the way I have done, right, in the past, you're only gonna get hurt in the long run. Right. And so you have to you have to create the right boundaries first and then you have to know why you're keeping them and why it's important mm -hmm. to keep them. And when you realize that you're keeping them to honor yourself because you're aware of the outcome, if you don't, then it's really easy to set and keep boundaries. Well, and it's just it adds so much value to the relationship. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I think we will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, 
tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. I think, first of all, because you've because you've set this on your values and then you've modified your expectations based on the things that you've learned or know about your partner, your father, your that, that that's so powerful. I I hear couples all the time and 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 I know it applies to others, is they make these statements that, well, if he loved me, he would know. Right. <laughs> Right. And it's like this Hollywood expectation of Prince Charming that, you know, if he just if he loved me, he would just know what I expected or he'd know what I'd want. Right. right. But have you told him? Right. <laughs> and, and we have this this whole magical relationship idea that that that, well, we fell in love and they should just know all these things. Right. Well, and I teach my clients that a lot. It's I have this whole exercise called understanding your expectations because we have hidden expectations we don't know about. So I'll take um, an incident. If somebody has an incident where they get into a fight with someone and, you know, it turns into a screaming, yelling match or whatever happens. Right. And I have them dissect it. There's 12 questions they go through. What was the incident? How did you react? What was your emotional state? What, What feelings came out? And then it's, where do you think that, what was your expectation? Where do you think it comes from? Go back to your childhood. What was the expectation? What was the hidden expectation? What was, you know, if you were expecting someone to acknowledge it was your birthday, right? Like, what was the expectation behind that? And is it realistic, right? And if it's realistic, then have a conversation with the other person and say, this was my expectation. Now you have you know, what my clients say, a language. This was my expectation. And these are the needs you didn't meet. This is the value that was unmet, right? And so when you can do that, then you can apologize or then they, the other person can apologize. They have an opportunity to do that. Or you can say, my expectation was unreal. So my expectations unreal. I should really modify my expectation. And so it's so simple as, you know, if you get married and you have expectations that the dishes in the sink should be cleaned every night, your partner's not going to know that unless they tell you, well, why is that? Is it because when you were a child, you got screamed at and you got punished if it wasn't done? Or is it because, you know, you just like to have a neat place, right? So there's a difference as to the origin. Sometimes those ex- hidden expectations are actually triggers from things sure. that happened to you in childhood that you don't even recognize. Um, yeah, or was it that your father just cleaned the dishes every night? And so now you expect your spouse to clean the dishes every night, just like your father did, but you've never had a conversation about it. Exactly. Exactly. So well, then a- you don't even realize it's a trigger until the second day that the dishes are in there and you're irritated and you don't understand why you're irritated because exactly because, because no one's doing the dishes because no one's ever had a conversation about, hey, let's decide who's going to do the dishes and when. Exactly. And it's something minor like that, but it could be something different. Whereas let's say a friend of yours tells you she's she was got, uh, you know, asked to go on a surprise trip by her boyfriend. Next thing you know, you're you're angry at your friend, right? Or, or you're angry at your own boyfriend, right? What are all the expectations behind it? Was it because you wanted to spend time with her or is it because you're jealous? And if you're jealous, is it really her or is it your friend? Is it your boyfriend? Like what's your value behind that, right? Is it because you really value going on vacation 
Or do you feel hurt because he's not recognizing you? Like there's all this complexity that our brain goes through unconsciously that we don't even realize. And so understanding all the expectations and your triggers and your value system, having a full awareness of that can change your life because everything you do is based on that awareness of knowing all of that when you walk into a situation or have a relationship or enter a job or every every everything that you do every day. And that's why, you know, my program is called Mindset Warrior, the art of intentional thinking. Because when you have intention around everything you do, uh, around that awareness of everything you are, you never make a mistake that you have guilt or regret on. And everything you go forward to, all your relations become healthier and healthier as you move forward. Well, I love that. So I, I mean, I dabble with the idea of calling myself an intention coach because it really is about living life with intention and, and you know, thinking intentionally, acting intentionally, intentionally confirming our beliefs, right? Because our beliefs control our actions. All of that is so, so important. And so I love, love the title of your program and, and love the work that you're doing. And that's why I just love digging deeper into this to share, you know, share with our audience, the power of, the power of our subconscious and how much of our life is just on autopilot. And if we choose to, to just live in that victim state, we stay in autopilot, right? I, we talk about the, the lower level emotions, right? And the bottoms is grief and grief and shame and unforgiveness and resentment and anger are all down there. And then when you, when you cross this line and they, I, I like to call it the line of courage, right? which is the line we talked about at the very beginning of taking responsibility for your life and owning it. Right. So, so now I own it. Now I'm, I'm above this line and guess what here, what emotions are up here, right? This is where, where peace and love and joy and Absolutely. happiness and love is the top, right? Love is unconditional. Love is the very top. And, and of course that's, you know, that's deity level, but, but the rest of us can aspire to, to, to choose joy, to choose, right? So I'm choosing to be responsible for my life. And now I can choose to live in a state of joy. I can choose to live in a state of happiness. I can choose to live in a state of peace. And it's all built on that foundation you talked about, that GPS, right? You start knowing right. your values. You know what's important to you. You set boundaries around those things. And, and then you intentionally choose relationships that are in support of those things. You intentionally choose what you allow in between your ears, right? And so you're you're intentional about what you're reading. You're intentional about what you're watching. You're intentional about your activities, uh, you know, that are feeding your brain versus, you know, watching the news and getting fed all the negative and the drama and right. The, right. And so that intentionality is so so important because that is what's programming your mind for your daily activities. So yeah, let's talk and what happens is your default. Um, sorry, your default. No, your default victim mindset becomes a default positive mindset. It becomes a, you, it, you, you actually with practice, it becomes your new default behaviors. And so it's no longer hard. It's very hard at the beginning because you have to get yourself to be uncomfortable and you have to do things that don't really fit with who you are at the moment in that victim mindset. But the more you do it and the more you practice, the easier it becomes. And then it just becomes habit and it's just who you are. So like well, to me today, I walk around every day intentionally aware and being present moment to moment 
but it's just how I flow because I've created that over years. Um, and that's just how, you know, what I call my everyday being. It's my everyday being. Well, and the challenge for many is they think this, this, you know, power of positive thinking is just, is just woo woo, right? It's just, you know, oh, that, that doesn't really work. Oh, that won't make a difference. Right. Because they're in that, they're in that negative uh, victim state, right? They feel like the conditions and circumstances of their life, you know, well, you just don't understand Marissa. You, you just don't understand my life's different. Right. You just don't understand. <laughs> I, you know, my life's worse than yours. I got a flat tire every day and, and, you know, all these terrible things just keep happening. Right. And so the, the shouldas, couldas and wouldas overwhelm people. But the truth of this is, this is, there's science, there's science that backs this up. There's science about the chemicals in our brain that back it up. When you choose happiness, when you choose to smile, when you choose to do those things, you get a whole different set of chemicals than when you spend your life in that anxiety and stress, which leads to your brain putting you in fight and flight mode, even though you're sitting on the couch. Right. Whew. Right. No real danger, but it automatically, it's it's the default behavior that keeps coming up over and over again because you, because you allow it. And so you talked about depression and you talked about some of those things in your own life right and i think our culture has this this epidemic of depression because so many people are living in that fight and flight state sitting on their couches miserable and 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 unhappy and thinking that the world is against them and god hates them and and they can choose another option they have another choice <laughs> Right. It's so much better that doesn't feel like depression, doesn't require them to take a bunch of medications to be, you know, numbing their body up, numbing their emotions. And and it starts with positive thinking. Yeah. And, you know, it's not it's and it's not all, you know, peaches and babies. Like, you know, like, <laughs> no, it's, it's absolutely not. But, but you mentioned I it that triggered might... sometimes I get triggered and I and I immediately my default behavior, like most days I, I you know, I. I talk about my scale one to 10, 10 is the highest. Right. And, and since I've healed, you know, over the years, my average day is a 10. Right. And, and when I drop, it's never below a five anymore. Like it used to be really low, but, um, but I have days where I drop and my default behavior when I'm not consistent in my intentionality, um, my default behavior goes way back to the negative and I get, uh, and I get depression and, and, but my awareness of saying, I have the tools, I can journal, I can do this. I can do my expectations exercise. I can do that. And I'll sit on the couch and go, oh, heck no, I ain't doing that. I'm just going to sit here and wallow. And I might do that and I might do it for a day, but I get out of it because I, it's like, okay, it's you know, it's kind of like, it's time to clean the house. It's time to, you know, it's time to do the work. So I may do it for a day or even two days. I eventually get up and I journal and I do what I know works and gets me out of it. And, um, you know, in the past, you know, in my victim mindset, it would last for months, weeks or months and affected everyone. And everyone I touched was angry because I was angry, like, you know, but but that changes. And so, you again, it, you said choice. You We have a choice every single day on how we want to be. Um, and And it is hard. It's a lot of hard work. But but it's worth it. It's so so worth it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if you could choose positive or negative, why would you choose a negative, right? Like, right. If, if you if you actually have a choice, right? And so now I'm I want to remind you, you have a choice, and that's not like you said, that's not to say that bad stuff doesn't happen, right? 
our you know our parents die boom that sucks our 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 spouse could die ooh that sucks our kids could die ooh that really sucks right that's not to say that oh shit moments don't happen and oh life sucks moments don't happen but you know what we face those moments differently cuz right. cuz we recognize we recognize the things i can control i control and the things right. i can't control i've got to be willing to let go of right and and not try to control and so yeah, bad stuff happens. It happens to me. It happens to my spouse. It happens to, but we handle it in a whole different way. And that doesn't mean, you know, we don't spend a week crying right in the corner crying. Right. But at some point we say, whoa, this isn't where I want to be because I've been, <laughs> because I've been where I want to be. And I know I can get back there and I can get back there so much faster. Right. And so it's okay to say, oh, that sucked, but I got to be able to say now what, right? right. That sucked. Now what? And let's go. Well, and I, I always say, like, you always have those tools in your back pocket. So you just got to pull them out. And and um, you can easily wallow. You can easily get caught up in that old stuff. But it's not fun. Like, life is fun. Like, we, we need to get back to that. We need to get back to just enjoying, you know, being around people and enjoying life and just, you know, nature and, and, and having fun with it. Oh, that's so powerful. All right, Marissa, what inspires you? Other people. I love being inspired by other people. I love I love when I am working with someone, a client and they're growing. That's that inspires me. Um, I love other people when I see other people excelling and succeeding. Like, yeah, I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader. I, I just I just love people doing really good things in life. Um, and, uh, I'm inspired when my dog's not freaking out here on the, on the thunder. Um, I'm, I'm inspired by myself. Like I am my biggest inspiration. Like I love myself and I've never been able to say that in the early Mm. years. Like I I inspire myself every day. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and I'm inspired by nature. I'm a big outdoors person. So I'm always outdoors, you know, by the lake and, you know, kayaking and paddleboarding. And I travel, um, you know, I, I bought a camper van last summer. So I travel with my dog all the time. Woo-hoo. And I just, I love it. I love the outdoors. I'm inspired by nature. All right. So you mentioned a few really cool things, journaling, um, meditating, some of those. So what are some routines that have really helped you? Oh, um, so I would say journaling is definitely one of them. And I, I do what's called focus journaling. So um, sometimes it's good to just kind of rant or, you know, get things off your chest. But a lot of times when things bother us, it's because we're replaying it, right? We're tr- trying to sort something out, right? The best way to do that is to do focus journaling. So I do focus journaling with mind, body, and emotions. And a lot of people do mind, body, soul, mind, body, spirit. But I, I, I like to focus on mind, body, emotions, because emotions is how we express ourselves. And so mind, you know, if I'm up against a situation, what's going through my mind? What am I thinking? Write down the thoughts that are in your head, good or bad, just write down all the thoughts that are in your head. Then what's, how is my body expressing itself? Does my heart hurt? Does my stomach hurt? Are my hands shaking? Do I feel lightheaded? Like what, how does my body expressing what's happening? And then what are the emotions behind it? Am I angry? Am I sad? And just by doing that, you'd be surprised at how much clarity comes out. And what you're doing is you're releasing that burden 
of, of what's bothering you. And mm -hmm. so um, when, when, and I don't journal every day, but when something's bothering me, that's my first go-to mind, body, and emotions. Um, Cause when you write that down, you'd be surprised at how quickly what you're, what you're stressed about just dissolves. Well, also that's a really good tool to find the triggers. Right. I, I think so many people, first of all, generations have been told, you know, don't be angry or men don't cry or, you know, all these ways that we stuff an emotion and we hide it down because we don't want anybody to see it because nobody thinks that emotion's appropriate. And, and so we, we, we blocked the energy of these emotions inside our body, which causes some of those physical ailments, right? That's what your stomach or your shoulders are tight or your, those are, those are signs that you've got an emotion you're holding onto that's right. inside of you rather than allowing that energy to go whoosh and through you. I, I love to help people just see what if those emotions are a dashboard? What if they're just the warning lights of your body saying, hey, something's something's different. And now you can ask yourself, okay, I'm angry. What's that about? Right. Or man, I'm I'm kind of sad. I'm, you know, I want to cry. What what's that about? And and these emotions, first of all, I want to say it's okay to experience emotions. These these are part of our design, these are part of our our humanness. <laughs> and so experiencing these emotions is really, really important. They're trying to tell us something, right? Something's going on. And so I love that focused idea of ask it, just give yourself permission to be curious about your emotions and asking yourself, what, what is this? What is that? What does that mean? Why, why am I angry right now? Right? Like, and when I'd ask myself why I'm angry, especially when I was raising my kids, it's be, you know what? It was always selfish. Almost always. It was something, something wasn't going how I expected it to go instead of, you know, my kids did something dumb. It really wasn't about, what they did it was about what it, how it made me look well and it's interesting you say that because I, I mean what you you nailed it it's you you your expectation was not met right so our reaction is typically an expectation that's met or unmet it's that simple right oh, when somebody absolutely. brings us flowers or balloons we're happy our expectation was met maybe it was a birthday or something right maybe it's because this person you know, loves me and they're showing me by, by doing that. So my expectation was met, but mm. if they forget my birthday, I'm going to be unhappy because it's a value of mine and my expectation was not met. So we, it's surprising how expectations can surface triggers. Um, and so analyzing, and, you know, I, I have an extremely analytical brain, <laughs> uh, analyzing yourself, that self-awareness and analyzing and getting to the core is literally the key to happiness. It's the key to finding joy. Well, and being willing to let go of those expectations. Absolutely. <laughs> in, in a lot of cases, the majority, and you know, it's interesting how we we are so quick to assume the negative. You know, oh, she didn't call me back. She must be mad at me, right? We, I mean, our brain just automatically assumes the worst thing ever, right? You know, oh, she didn't give me a kiss before I said goodbye. She must be mad at me. You know, and then we're at work and we spend eight hours trying to figure out why she's mad at us. And then we come back home and, and stomp in the front door knowing that she's. And what happens? We end up having a fight. And now we're having a fight that she didn't even know anything about. Right. It all happened inside of my head. Yeah. Right. And, and it was all based on, on an expectation that that if I would have just called and says, 
hey, when I left this morning, you didn't give me a kiss. And she'd be like, oh, I was just grabbing the newspaper. Right. Like, you know, she didn't even notice. Like it wasn't even a thing. And and you spend eight hours a day machining it around in your head. Whoo, man, we yep. do that. We do and, that so often. And I have a really easy, simple thing for that. Like when your head starts going like that, um, just say to yourself, no one cares. <laughs> Literally, no one cares. No one cares. And it actually works because it's it's that kind of like smack in the face, like, oh, no one, no one cares that I'm sitting here fuming. And then you can get yourself to the bottom of it. Then you can self-aware and self-analyze. But but that's kind of your wake up to when you're analyzed, just remind yourself no one cares. And I have clients that they, they tell me it works for them. And it's like it's literally it. No one cares. Well, you gotta you gotta snap yourself out of it because your right. brain would just your brain is the biggest conspiracy theorist in the world. It, <laughs> right. it would just it would just keep going down this conspiracy theory trail, and then you'll start finding evidence. Right, because <laughs> the brain the brain is gonna be oh yeah everything becomes evidence now. But no, so not only has the brain created this problem, now it's finding all the evidence to prove to prove that the problem's true. Because that's what that's what it does, and and it and it's it's I think it's the crazy cycle, right? I mean, <laughs> and, and you ruin, and then you come home and have a fight, and you actually ruin your relationship over over nothing, right? <laughs> and 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 it it happens far more often than it should, which is a, which is a real shame, right? Because we don't right. break it, we don't we don't stop ourselves and say, "Who cares?" No one, right. no one cares. And now and now your brain can go, "Oh wait, what?" I mean, no one cares. I've been doing all this work. I found all this evidence. Right. <laughs> no one cares. Shut up. And we do that to ourselves too. Like evidence that we're bad people or evidence that we did oh. wrong or evidence that we're guilty. Right. But, but that's what your plan, your plan won't work. Your idea is stupid. Your oh yeah. Your brain's finding a list of all the reasons why that won't work. Right. Why not? Oh. Anything's possible. I, I, I just say, the, the world is a canvas and you can pull whatever you want onto this canvas because anything goes, anything goes. Think about all, any inventor, any business, any, any, you know, initiative that, that somebody has in this world. It was, it was a crazy idea. So Absolutely. anything's possible and why not you? That's a good, that's the exact question I was going to, why not? I tell my brain all the time, why not me? Yeah, why not? Why can't I be the next big best-selling author? Why can't I be the the person who's doing speaking engagements and and you know having a long client list? Why why not me? Who? Why not you, Marissa? I, love I have it. I have value. Why not? And we have to remind ourselves all of that. You know. Absolutely. All right, Marissa. What's a favorite place you've taken your puppy? Ah. <sighs> Let me see. Oh, I don't know. I took him on a cross country trip last year wow. <laughs> to Florida. I had to, I had to put one down a couple of months I'm ago because he had a stroke, but um, yeah, I just take him everywhere. I took him to Moab a couple of weeks ago, uh, in April, a couple of weeks. Time flies. The end of April, I took him to Moab. Um, but yeah, he loves to travel. Nice. He's took 10 years old. He's not a puppy. He acts like one though. <laughs> yeah. I'm lucky my dog's ignoring the storm, but he ignores most everything when he's in the house. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, he just he freaks out with thunder. Yeah. My other dog used to he'd hide under my desk, but <laughs> our, our current
current our current dog just like even fireworks he's like whatever he doesn't even he doesn't even know he acts like he doesn't even notice them so (laughs) but yeah love dogs love that so all right so speaking of dogs speaking of travel let's talk about the power of play and fun in a person's life oh my goodness it's so important (laughs) i've been talking about this a lot lately um you know here's here's the thing when we're kids right we just play and we we are so full of wonder in the world like everything is amazing and we have such an imagination and and we think anything is possible and and think about it kids are happy by default they're joyful by default they find a pleasure and amusement in just about everything right and so what happens though is the parents we we put them in a box and then the systems around us put us in a box and then, you know, the people around us put us in a box. And next thing you know, all of that wonder and amusement has been squashed. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what I try to do with my clients is I help them find a new perspective in life to see wonder in the world again, because I was guilty of it. I used to be the person that would leave work stomp on roses, drive, you know, an hour to work. And I couldn't tell you if it was raining or snowing or if the sun was out because I was so in my head and so focused on, you know, what I had to do. And now, you know, now I go outside and, and everything like, you know, just everything. If you look at it with a new perspective and with wonder, and that's people too, not just, you know, nature. And here's an example. I wrote about this in my book. Um, I learned a long time ago that trees, leaves don't fall off trees. Trees actually go through the process of sending chemicals and pushing the leaf off the tree. So what happened was when I started observing trees with that mindset, I noticed that even on non-windy days, you will see individual leaves and they're shaking. And if you look real close, you can see several of them on a tree. And it's fascinating to watch. And so when you change your belief system and change your mindset on how you view the world, you can see that in everything in nature. You can see that when you're looking at a rock. Like when I look at rocks or I go to like a famous tourist place like Moab, I literally put my hand on the rock and I just imagine all the different people who have walked past and put their hand on there. Right. Or a rock like that's sitting on the floor. How many different people sat on that rock? In, a, in that rock's lifetime of millions of years, right? Like, what is that rock experience? And so when you go through work, um, your life like that with that perspective and that wonder, right? Everything becomes playful and everything becomes joyful. It's childlike. And you can do that with people too. I mean, think about that. Like, you know, for, for us who have kids, right? Our kids can be an annoyance. Like, I'm just being honest. Kids are freaking annoying sometimes. And they get on your nerves and you want to, ah, like you have the sayings, right? Minor teens now, so it's not as bad. But when you look at other people's kids, do you have that same angst? Do you have that same annoyance? You don't because your expectations are different because you see them as an individual child. You don't see them as you know, you might see them as your friend child, but you're seeing them as an individual, unique child with a grand personality, right? And a uniqueness above them. Why can't we see our own kids that way? 
right? So look at your own kids that way. Look at your partner that way. Look at your friends that way. When you start seeing individual people that way, it changes how you view people. It changes. You, you soften to people. You become more kind. When you look at every single person as having a magical spirit and, and, and a uniqueness about them, even if they're angry, there's something about them that could make you smile because, because you're looking at them differently. And again, it's all mindset. So I try to bring that wonder into the world um, through my clients and the work that I do. And just, you know, why not? We can go around this planet being angry and, and just so serious all the time. And trust me, I was like that for most of my life. Um, or you can go with it with just having fun and joy in everything that you do. Well, that, that power of let going ex of expectation with your kids is so powerful. So, yeah. so challenging, but so powerful. Um, and, and, and what a great question. Well, if the neighbor kid did that, would you be as upset? Ooh, that's powerful. Yeah, very powerful. Yeah. So because you react, you would react differently. You would totally react differently to your friend's kid who maybe broke your front window versus your own kid who broke your front window. Oh, so good. Well, and and then how about if you broke your front window? Right, exactly. Man, we are so hard on ourselves. Hard on ourselves, hard on our kids. And, and letting go of expectations is, is so powerful in, in giving yourself a break, giving your Absolutely. kids a break. Woo. Lots of great stuff. All right, Marissa, what's, what's your big dream? Oh, man, to help as many people as I can, <laughs> to help people change their mindset. Like that's really, uh, you know, I'm in serve. I'm an, I'm in a servant mindset these days. And I just really want to, to let people know that they can really let go and be happy. They can really find joy and, and just enjoy life. And that's my big dream is to, to really expand on what I'm doing and, and let people know they don't have to be miserable and they don't have to carry oh. these burdens around. Woo. Super, super powerful. All right. You spend an hour with an entrepreneur and you want to leave them with Marissa's words of wisdom. What would you share? Oh, go for it. Definitely go for it. You can do anything. You can be powerful. You can be anything you want to be. You just have to take steps every single day. And every single day when you are working towards a passion, it will organically grow into your purpose. Oh, Marissa, thank you so much for joining me today. What a great conversation. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode... Mike Michalowicz and Robert talk about his mission to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. He is accomplishing that mission through teaching, but more importantly, through his books like Profit, Profit First and Clockwork, which is releasing an updated and revised version. Mike shares his wisdom and some great tools to help entrepreneurs make decisions to be intentional with their business, specifically about how they spend their money 
and how they use their time. 